Welcome to the Health Connect Hub podcast, where Kate and Rab will be taking you through interviews full of insight and wisdom from health professionals and beyond. We're interested in finding out about the people behind the profiles, what makes them tick, and how the idea of health factors into what they do. Thanks for taking the time to tune in. Today we have Scott Evans joining us. So Scott is a friend of mine I've known for a while, and he is the chaplain in UCD and also is an author, but I'll let Scott do a little bit more talking for himself. So Scott, welcome to a little interview. And if you're comfortable, we'll just jump straight in and find out more about you and how sort of health is part of your story. So Scott, um, what's your overall story? Um, <laughs> thanks for having me, first of all. Um, the what's your story question is so incredibly broad. Um, and also, I, I will do my best to hold myself back because I, obviously I'm a chaplain in UCD. I'm the church fire chaplain there. And um, <laughs> so most of my job is listening. So the chance to actually talk, I'm kind of like, oh, <laughs> this is very exciting. Um, uh, so I will try and uh, be as... Um, as brief as possible as I can in uh, in my answers without taking like 20 minutes to answer each one. Um, what's my story? Um, broad question. Um, I am, uh, I grew up in Bangladesh. Um, so I, like I'm, I lived in Ireland until I was seven, lived in Bangladesh until I was 15. Uh, parents were working for a charity over there. Um, I've kind of, um, uh, we'll come to some of the bits later on I know like some of the questions will tease out certain bits in particular but um the around the time that I finished school I was going to head and do marketing and uh join my dad's business the original plan was like to do a degree in marketing and um and join him there and you know drive the BMW and and you know live in the live in the nice house and all that kind of thing and I had this really kind of transformative moment um, um towards the end of my time in school where I was really involved in a youth group um, and because of stuff that had happened to me in my teenage years the presence of a um uh, an older person who was present to me in difficult times um, gave me the sense like I could be that for other people. And so I, instead of basically like the day I was supposed to take my place in marketing on the CIO, I ended up switching and moving and doing theology and youth work instead. And um, so for the last 20 years, like my, my, my role has been trying to figure out ways to be a person in community that, um, uh, that serves others, that gives people hope, that gives people space for um, them to find peace and wholeness. Um, and so firstly, that looked like a, a youth worker, um, uh, like working in schools, doing like retreats and stuff like that. After that, it was like developing drop-in centers, running apprenticeship programs um, in the Southeast. Then it was writing books about um, how faith can lead to wholeness. And now for the last five years, it's been as a university chaplain. And I'm currently in the process of training as a minister in the Church of Ireland. So um, in, uh, I'm not sure exactly when it happens, but sometime in the next two years, I will lift up my beard and you'll see a collar underneath. Um, and uh, that's, um, that's the trajectory that I'm headed towards. Um, so it's been trying to figure out what that kind of life looks like and finding meaning in that area and hopefully giving others meaning in that area as well. So that's my broad stroke story, I'd say. That's great. That's pretty interesting. Uh, I look forward to the time where that's actually the move that you do. You're just like lifting up the beard and <laughs> reveal 
or else I'll just like shave just like just here and you'll just be able to see through the beard that there's a color there yeah. or you could do that Hulk Hogan thing just paint a white stripe down the middle of it that would also be good but no that that's cool that's cool so I suppose within I mean that's a huge journey mm. to get where you are right now so then following on from that what kind of absolutely excites you about right now um uh what excites me right now is um the conversations i think people are yeah actually can i answer can we go to another question first sure sure we can i'm gonna gonna switch things up um can we can we answer uh can we go with what gets you up in the morning and what is your whole reason for existing your why first absolutely absolutely yeah (laughs) absolutely let's let's go there okay sorry i've gone out of focus Hello. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're still there. You're still there. Absolutely yeah, fine. Okay, so then let's let's find out what's your whole reason for existing. What's your why? So my why, um, and I loved this question because it it made me actually think about this for the first time. My why is I would describe it as making eyes widen. Um, so there is something that happens when we realize the truth about the world in which we live, about the or something about ourselves that make our eyes go wide, that kind of is like this revelation moment of, oh, oh my goodness. Now, I see this happening in a few spheres, but it is the thing that um, that drives so much of my life. So for example, in a pastoral care setting where I'm talking to someone about that story, this actually happened this week in a really beautiful way in a conversation I was having with a student where we we're kind of talking through these different things that have happened in, in, in their life. And suddenly I asked this question and, and even just over the phone, I because it, it wasn't on video, but I could hear their eyes widen because there was this little gasp of like, I, I didn't realize that event in my life was affecting this. And suddenly, and it, it was this sudden moment, and suddenly then the world was being seen in a different way. And when the way in which we see the world changes, the way in which we live can change. Um, so if so, when people's eyes widen about um, something that, that they've realized in their own story or something they've realized about their own value or their own worth or about options that are available to them or why things don't have to be the way that they've always been, that's the stuff that is my jam. So like that, that encompasses my pastoral care, my preaching, my writing, all of the different things that I do. When you see people, people's eyes go wide, it's like, boom, this is the beginning of the possibility of transformation. So that's what excites and, and, and gives me my, my why. The idea that there's a bigger truth out there about ourselves and about the world in which we live, in which we can find meaning and transformation. But it takes that moment of revelation for it to happen. Nice. That's a, that's a really good answer. For sure. <laughs> um, so then in a similar way, is that what gets you up in the morning? Or are there other things in play there as well? Uh, no, my five month old gets me up in the morning. Um, uh, that, that's uh, that I, <laughs> it used to be like a conscious choice to get up in the morning, and now um, it's uh, it's it's Daniel. Um, uh, but yeah, that, that's the thing that 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 um, uh, drives my work, and it's also the thing that like it makes other things about the work that are more challenging um, worth it. Um, like when you're dealing with 
bureaucracy or funding or grants or you know the the stuff that just has to be done in order to just grease the wheels and keep the ball rolling and uh it's the overwhelming sense that transformation and change are possible that makes you go okay well this isn't i don't want to spend all day doing this particular thing but if it opens doors for us to have encounters where where this can happen then um then i'm then i i'm willing to pay that price cool cool i like it so then if we can go back to what absolutely excites you about right mm. now how does what you've answered so far or even identified so far link into right now sure i i think so then as a result of that i'd say what exact what excites me right now um is that as hard as the last year has been and um there's no there's no there's no like there's no way of talking about that that lessens the trauma that people have experienced but what does excite me right now, I think, is that um, the is that what we've been through, and particularly the amount of time we've had to spend with ourselves, um, has actually opened our has made our eyes widen about a lot of things. I think a lot of people have learned a lot about themselves that they didn't know. Um, and it, it, one of the things we talked about when we I started making a couple of videos and stuff like that for the UCD community after like during lockdown of like things to things to be thinking about, and one of the things that we can do at times is be like, it's like, I just really miss this. And then it expresses itself in anger, but we don't take time to reflect on that. So when, but I think what, what is really helpful is for us to go, I really miss this. And so then asking the question, okay, so what is it, what is it about that that you miss? And being able to say, I miss this because of, you know, I miss either these people or I miss this activity or I miss this something else. You go, okay, right. So actually, this is actually a conversation then about what you value, about what matters to you. So if you can dive into that conversation and really begin to explore that, suddenly realizing that by having these things taken away, it has actually taught you a huge amount about what matters to you, about where you think meaning is, about where you think the, the, the fullness of life is found. Um, and so once we actually begin to unpack that stuff, then we can look at coming back in a way that is like... Uh, in a way that is based around people's value systems. Like this is kind of, I think, pulled the, pulled the veil back on what you value. If you've been living without intention or reflection, you've just been living your life based on these values, but having them take away makes you, makes you um, have to look what you value in the face and be like, oh, that's the thing that matters to me. And, um, and then that can actually cause us to live by different value systems or different priority systems going forward. Yeah, no, I, I think, yeah, like even just for myself, I, I don't know, Kate, if you found something similar, but it's there's definitely been a lot more scope for reflection. And even just hearing, Scott, what you were saying there, it feels like, you know, for want of a better metaphor, it's been like up to this point, it was like traveling on the M50. You're going, you're just trying to go from A to B. But now I'm like, actually, I think I want to take like a regional road or, you know, mm. one of those and see a little bit more and see how that reflects in, in values, et cetera. Mm. Yeah. Um, right. So final question from me before I hand over to Kate and she's going to do mm. sort of the, the, the latter half of the questions, but what's the most important thing that I, we, people who are listening should know about you? Um, it's a good, it's a funny question. Cause it's almost like, uh, uh, there's one part of that question that's almost like 
so what's your brand? You know, you know, what what do you want us to know about you? Um, But most of my life is actually based on on the round on the, on the idea of just convincing people I'm, I'm here if you need me. Um, uh, And that's um, members of my church community, my parish community, um, and it's members of uh, of UCD. Um, um, And so I would say that's the thing that I work towards convincing people they can believe about me. Um, is that like whatever it is that you're going through, whatever, and this is actually really important in a university context, whatever it is that you believe, like my dog is not in the fight of trying to make you believe what I believe, um, but what I believe has makes me feel a sense of vocation to being present in whatever it is that you're going through. So, um, uh, so I'd say the most important thing people could believe about me is that I'm here, if you need me. Sweet, perfect, love it. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> um, thank you so much for uh, for that, Scott, so far. I know I'm launching into the next round of uh, questions uh, with you, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think I definitely agree with you in terms of the reflection piece too. I think the last year has been a huge eye-opener for myself to find myself with this time for my thoughts and mm. peel back those layers. So uh, it's really uh, interesting to to hear you say that. And I suppose, and yeah, same with you, Rob, and I know, I'm not my tobler there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think you've you're kind of alluded to this already. So I suppose I'm going to maybe see if there's anything else that you might want to tie in with it. But um, I suppose going down the path that you've gone, uh, Scott. Like I suppose, why do you feel you've you've ended up there? Like I know you talked about that kind of eye widening mm-hmm. moments, and uh, you know I suppose making making others see maybe the bigger truth or you know and look for change but was there anything else I suppose that helped you get to to where you're going and and um, continue forward to to the little collar yeah, I would actually, um, I'm going to do that thing where I actually jump onto another question, um, where, uh, because I would say that a lot of my life is a response to, um, to one of the most defining moments or seasons in my life. Um, so when I was a teenager, and this has been a big part of my, just to make sure that you, you're comfortable with this, this has been a big part of my writing and speaking for years. So this is something that I've processed in private and in counseling and uh, and something that I've I've talked about publicly a lot before. So this is not a sensitive thing for me, but it was a really defining moment. And that was because I was so much smarter than everyone else when I was in secondary school. I was the victim of like verbal and physical abuse by people who were um, bigger, stronger, taller than me. Um, and one of the things that happens when we are um, victims of, the, of those kind of things is every word that we hear and every action towards us is a message to us about what we're worth and about what we should do with our lives. So when we are treated like garbage, if we, if the more important the person is who is treating us like garbage, the more likely we are, we are to believe the truth that their words and actions communicate. Um, and what I found for me is that my journey to faith was um, a, uh, a silencing of the voices that told me, you're not worth loving, you'll never be strong, you'll never be, uh, you'll never be somebody who can have an impact on the world. You'll always be, um, you'll always be vulnerable in the negative sense, like unable to protect yourself, all of these kind of things. And um, the, uh, or you'll always feel guilty for mistakes that you've made. You'll always spend, you'll spend your whole life trying to make up for, um, for the ways in which you've tried to deal with your pain, all of this kind of stuff. 
Um, and for me, my uh, my faith journey was just coming towards like was um, it was actually just realizing that like the simplest of truth is that like for according to my belief system, God is love and I am loved. Um, and before anything else, before any achievement, before any or reacting to any pain or trauma or any of that kind of stuff, it's just it, it is. I've been, I think my life's work is to just try and believe that with my whole heart. Um, and if, and what's dangerous, I think, is, is that sometimes that can then just become a story about me. It's like, I'm God's favorite. It's like, no, that, that's not what it is. It's like, this is, this was equally distributed to all without limit. But if that's true of me, it's also true of you. And so you deserve for me to live towards you in a way that is consistently reinforcing what I believe to be the truth at the heart of the universe. That is, we have come from love. All things will one day be wrapped up in love. Um, and that in every moment in between those things, you are loved. And so it is my role to spend my life reinforcing that message to you. So I would say that's that's the 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 um, the, the driving force of what I do. And, and in some way, in, in some ways, it's kind of cool because that can actually it can express itself in any number of different jobs. Like that can you know that's that's as true of uh, uh, me serving free tea and coffee in UCD to just people who are hanging out, um, to you know in depth pastoral chats, to the way in, in which I treat somebody who works in a shop, or the way in which I treat some, uh, somebody who's experiencing homelessness on the street. Like that truth needs to echo out through all of those different areas of my life. And it just so happens the area I feel called to is to lead a community of faith into exploring that truth in a really deep way. But that certainly doesn't mean that everyone can or should or, or would want to do take it where I'm going. Um, but my hope is just to try and is to try and spend my life reinforcing that for other people. Wow. <laughs> Um, I just there's so much there I'm like oh my gosh <laughs> I just want to unpackage little elements of it um, yeah wow that is um, really kind of refreshing is the word to use but like to hear you talk so strongly and passionately and so um, confidently in one aspect of uh, you know in one area it just it's not something you actually hear very often and it's mm. really nice to see so much passion behind that and I think there's a lot of things that each of us could maybe think about you know in in our day-to-day -day actions and speech in terms of how mm. we could maybe echo an important message like like the one you've just alluded to mm. um yeah so wow I'm I'm a little bit <laughs> struck there <laughs> Gosh, I wasn't expecting this on a Wednesday morning <laughs> um okay so um i suppose then taking that into consideration um mm. if i can maybe then get you to to maybe to sh shed the light i suppose on in your opinion like uh taking into account maybe you know these tr truths and mm -hmm. ways that we can um echo maybe the beliefs that we believe and and to find i suppose our own our own understanding and meaning like what to you scott does does then health as a whole look like and how does mm. that maybe tie in with what you've spoken about so far mm. so the um the area like so health for me is a holistic thing um and the challenge of um, the challenges of the, of the segmented way in, in which way I think we see our lives 
is that we often separate, for example, body health from mental health to emotional and relational health. Um, and I'm, uh, I, I love the idea of us journeying towards a more holistic vision of health, where the way in which we, um, where, where the way in which we love ourselves and understand ourselves and, way in which, and the way in which our, um, that flows through us towards other people are all lined up in as a consistent way as possible. One of the things I really love is um, one of the words that we throw around a lot is the word integrity. Um, and integrity can often almost, almost be about like matching up to a kind of standard, oh, that person lives with integrity. Um, and so it can often be a question of character. But if you look at the etymology of the word integrity, um, it's the same word from which we get the idea of an integer or a whole number. And so integrity is actually about our wholeness. It's about the, um, the, the, the fullness of being within all spheres of our life. And so the, um, what I think is really, really key to health is that we have a love for each part of what makes us a self in a way that is not about achieving goals or getting us, for example, like I should love my body because it's the, it's it, because it's my home in which I live, not because I want to, I want to project a view of a certain kind of attractiveness to the world. So it might be not, it might feel nice to feel attractive, but if, my, if I'm building up my body because of an absence of what I feel in my heart, then inevitably there will be this disconnect. Like I'm not living out of a whole place. I'm living out of a broken place that says, I need others to look at the place in which my heart lives in order for my heart to feel good. So I'm gonna beat my body into submission. Well, what, let's not do that. <laughs> like, let me let me learn to live the body I'm in, to love the body I'm in. Let me learn to love the heart that lives within it, and let that be like. Um, uh, let me learn to to love the mind that lives there as well, with either its limitations or its anxieties, or <clears throat> to give it space to be able to grieve and breathe and mourn and what you know whatever it is that it that it is feeling, and then for that whole like that growing whole and, uh, and restored person that I'm becoming to then be in more positive relationships and more liberating relationships with other people that's that they don't um perpetuate the myths about their um about their bodies or their minds or their emotions or or or, or that could be used to manipulate them but rather that where relationship with a with relation with a person who's experiencing wholeness is a liberating experience because you feel like I don't how does that person live live like just like breaking the rules that the standards of our culture will it's like well it, it's because it, it's it's all a lie you don't have to be anything that you're not like you know and then that gives you permission to just love your body for your body's sake not love your body for the ground right. <laughs> i'm like i'm just gonna just sit here and be like <laughs> do you want to take back over the questions <laughs> um i still love listening to you speak um yeah. Do you think, and this is off the cuff now, so I hope you don't mind, Scott. No, no, but, um, do you feel that in maybe just based on what you said there, because I think there's so like there's so many important messages within just that answer alone that you've given. Do you feel that in the last 12 months or so when, you know, when maybe more of us have had more time with ourselves mm. and more time to hopefully, you know, reflect, um, do you think that, you know, people have started maybe making that connection about i suppose i don't know if it's you call it maybe inner inner peace or um mm -hmm. a, a big thing for me maybe over the last number of months was you know kindness and its importance given mm -hmm. and you alluded to it at the beginning of this like the trauma that has been the last 
you know year mm. or so so do you feel that um I don't know it's, it's maybe made people kinder to themselves to one another do you think it's helped mm. people make those connections that you spoke about there um, I think I think probably yes and no, and um, is such an easy out on a question like this. Um, but um, the I think chances are whatever trajectory you were currently on when the pandemic hit, you continued on that trajectory, but at a higher speed, um, because uh, isolation is uh, is um, it, it just heightens everything. So if you are a person who is privileged enough to have a space in which you can rest to choose who you're going to be around and make sure that those are healthy people um, where you have the financial security to be able to think about your you know, inner well-being more, you know, then there's definitely, you have a lot more of the elements in your life where that's possible. I know like particularly thinking about students um, who were kind of living hand to mouth as it was, um, student accommodation is generally not, like I knew students who were like, I think I just failed my exam because I have a massive, it turns out I have a massive fungal infection in my lungs because I was living in a place with mold and I couldn't afford to move to somewhere else, but I could literally see mold over like six feet of the wall of the room in which I was living and I couldn't afford to go anywhere else. Um, and like, you know, so the, the, for, for some people it's been, um, the, the circumstances are a lot more challenging. So I think there's a, a massive spectrum uh, on which we live. Um, I think one of the most profound things that has happened is a lot of us, but up until before the pandemic, have been, have been bought into the performative nature of life in the 21st century. So when we have, um, when our whole life has been a projection of what we want the world to see, and the world suddenly, because we couldn't be in person or couldn't do our jobs normally, kind of stopped looking, we had to wrestle with the question of, well, then who I am, who am I when no one is watching? And that can be a really scary question, but if you're in healthy community and healthy relationships, it can be a really good question because it can help you unpack some things that you like, uh, you can, the problem with a projection is a projection can be perfect, but it also can't be three-dimensional. Um, because we're projecting an image of ourselves like onto a canvas, we're not projecting the reality of ourselves. So I think if, if you've like, and there's no right or wrong way to have done this because you just, you know, we're all just, we're all just imperfect people trying to figure out how best to just survive this experience we call life. Um, the, but the, we're most likely, I think, to have had a positive experience if we are, um, if it is moving towards depth and asking ourselves difficult reflective questions and um, that lead us towards transformation and change rather than questions of like okay this you know this is my year no one's watching i'm gonna get that bot or i'm gonna you know or i'm gonna achieve this thing or i'm gonna you know i'm gonna do whatever it is so that when we come back together i can go back to performing it's like well what we've missed over the last year has been authenticity intimacy and connection um so I just hope that whatever, whoever I am at the end of this process means I will be a person more prepared and more open to authenticity and intimacy rather than a person who is better pre prepared to project a version of myself that is idealized instead of authentic. All right, thank you for that. Uh, I, there's like literally <laughs> so many elements that I really want to go off on tangents, right? So I'm just gonna rein myself back in. <laughs> um, 
And uh, I'll, I'll get back to the course, but um, I think Scott, Rob, we're gonna have to have Scott back again if you if you have us because yeah. there's so I, many elements. <laughs> I, well, I I actually myself and two friends we uh, we actually stopped doing our podcast at the beginning of the pandemic just because of but we had done like 190 episodes and this is the first podcast I've been on in a year, so I'm like. I've got that energy going. So I'm very excited to, to jump on for another conversation if you'll have me. So yeah, don't be. <laughs> that, we have we have this recorded, Scott. There's no backing out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I suppose for you, um, Scott, in the last year, given all that's gone on, what mm-hmm. do you think has been the, the best thing for you specifically that's happened? Oh, like finding out that we were pregnant a week after the first case was diagnosed in Ireland was a bit of an intense experience. So to find that out and and we were actually living, we were, we we're trying to embody a lot of the stuff that we talk about. So we were actually living in community with students, like with university students in the same house. So to find out that we were pregnant and then and then to be balancing like that, this thing of like, well, we're going to batten down the hatches because, you know, you know, my wife just cannot get COVID while pregnant because we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And then suddenly that has like, that was really difficult in our relationships with the students who were just like trying to figure out how to live their lives in isolation and all this kind of stuff. And um, like that was kind of terrifying. Um, and everything felt so much more high stakes because, you know, there, there's this new life involved. Um, and then and we we're kind of like, oh, well, we'll get through this and then we'll have the baby. And now we've got like a five month old and we're still in level five. Like it's um, it's kind of so it's been but he he like Daniel has 100 percent been the best thing. Like um, I, I don't I don't I don't I, I don't have anything else I care about as much as that. Like he's just the sweetest little laughing kid who just like he just make your day like it's it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in the last two or three nights, like we started doing story time before bed. And there's a book called Dear Zoo. And it's like a pop-up book kind of thing where like you, you pull back the doors and it's like, I asked the zoo for a pet and they sent me an elephant. And I, he has no idea what's going on. He doesn't know our names. He doesn't know anything. But he knows from the way we read the story, it's supposed to be really funny when we say elephant or giraffe. And he just wets himself laughing when we do. And like I mean that's been that's been the biz like over the last year like I, I don't have a I don't have a uh, an other life one I just have that like that's yeah yeah well a huge congratulations to you and your um your other half um yeah Daniel sounds like like an absolute bundle of joy so a huge congratulations that's such an, a nice gift to to receive um through and through um so then I suppose maybe to kind of get your, your final say on things mm. for, for this series. <laughs> um, when was the last time, Scott, that you felt you maybe failed spectacularly at something? Yeah. Um, this was an interesting question to come to as part of it. Um, uh, uh, there's a few examples that I thought of and I'm like, I, I, like actually, I don't think I can talk about them in a public forum. Like, I, like where I've just really just not done things well. Um, uh, I, so I've actually noticed a trend in the last, um, in the last, uh, it's, it's been as a result of recent experiences, but I've actually realized it's been the entire way through my working life is that when I have, um, and it's a management principle, where when I've had people working under me or working for me, um, I have uh, I've been trying to come to terms with the idea that good a good manager says that if a person working for me fails, 
90% of the time, it's my fault, not theirs, because I didn't equip them to do the job that I asked them to do. So if I have put them into a situation where they have felt unequipped or unprepared, or they haven't been given the skills or the training in order to be able to do that, then that's on me, not on them. And delegation is a wonderful thing, but delegating is, but delegating jobs that require your skill set in order to be done to somebody who doesn't have that skill set is setting other people up for failure as well as um, uh, removing your own responsibility for what it is you are supposed to be doing in the world. And one of the things I've realized is that um, I, is that I don't feel I've been a great manager of people who work um, either as volunteers or as staff um, uh, um, around me uh, over the last couple of years. Um, and just and just watching that in the way that that has unfolded, I um, I have had a tendency. I have a tendency to let life kind of just go, to let just people get on with things without actually asking the question: Have I intentionally thought through what they're being asked to do and set them up for success? And the difficult answer I've been coming to for myself is that I don't think I always have. Um, and so I feel like I've let um, uh, I feel like I've let people down a little bit um, by putting them in situations where they haven't had everything they needed to thrive. Um, and that's on me. So I'm trying to figure out how to make that right and how to take responsibility for that and um, uh, learn how to do better in the future. Um, because um, I, I think that's what good management looks like. But the hard thing about realizing anything negative about yourself is that it can so often be followed by like voices of guilt and shame that are like, see, I told you, you suck. Um, and, you know, like, the, you know, all of that stuff that is just so ready to jump out. Like Henry Nowen and the Dutch Catholic priest talks about it as being the monkeys in your banana tree. Um, and like those voices in your head that are just like running around, ripping everything apart um, and, um, and kind of just like removing peace from you. Um, and so when we realize something negative about ourselves, I think it requires us to actually go, okay, I can acknowledge that I have done something imperfectly or incorrectly or just plain wrongly in a way that hurts somebody else without it affecting my value of who I am as a person. And if I can do that, then I can also, because most of the time when we realize we've done something wrong and then we want to either cover it up, pretend it didn't happen, blame someone else, it's because we think it affects our value. So if I can separate my imperfections from my value, then I can, I can view my imperfections from a distance and say, I don't want things to always be like that. And so that's what leads us to be able to make good apologies, make amends when things go wrong, admit our mistakes, you know, and, and I want to, I always want to be the kind of person who can actually do that. So, so I would say that's where I failed. And, um, and I, and the worst thing is part of a pattern. Like this has been like, this is these like 15 years of like, of like me not understanding the importance of this um, and others deserve better. So I'm, I want to try and figure out how to, how to give them that. All right. Th thanks so much for being so uh, open on that front and, and brave about that. Because I know, when, particularly when you're finding maybe something that you want to improve upon, it can be, yeah, it takes a lot of guts to go, actually, you know, not not too good on this. And, you know, I'm throwing the hands up there. So, uh, mm -hmm. so yeah, so thank you. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, well, you are off the hook Scott, you're <laughs> out of the hot seat for today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I survived. I don't think I said anything too terrible. No, oh, thank yeah. you so much. That was amazing. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. We, we greatly appreciate it. Yeah, well, and, and if, if people want to, like, find you or connect yeah. with you on any level, do you yeah. use any uh, mediums that are popular? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on socials at not Scott Evans. Um, and the reason I'm at not Scott Evans is firstly because Scott Evans was obviously already taken. Um, but um, my name actually isn't Scott Evans. <laughs> my, my, my first name's actually Jonathan. And it's this great story because the, my parents decided before I was born that my name was going to be Jonathan. And then they looked at me and decided it, it just isn't suiting. We'll call him Scott. But if you look at the meaning of the names, Jonathan means a gift from God. And they looked at me and were like, I don't think so. Uh, and they called me Scott, which means dark or evil. Um, so uh, it comes from the Greek word Scotia. Um, so it's, uh, yeah. So anyway, so I'm not Scott Evans on socials. And you can also find me on scottevans.ie. Although I won't lie, I just looked at, at that website, having not looked at it for a while the other day. The picture of the picture of me there, it is not what I look like now. Like it still thinks I'm 32. I'm not, I'm a long way from 32 now. But um, but yeah, that's you can find my email there if you want to.